The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to see Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. God be with us when we yearn for the mysterious mercy of your presence. Amen. Amen. So some Greeks showed up where Jesus was teaching. And they told Philip that they'd like to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew about the Greeks, and together Philip and Andrew went to tell Jesus. And then in response, oddly, Jesus launches into a mind-blowing proclamation about the fact that the hour has come for him to be glorified through death, and that his disciples must serve him by following him into this very scary situation. And then a voice booms down from heaven like thunder, confirming Jesus' disturbing announcement about the upcoming first ever Holy Week and Passion. And in the midst of this epic scene, all I can think is, um, Jesus, this is a very powerful moment and all, but in case you didn't hear Philip's And Andrew, there's some Greeks over there at the door waiting to see you, and they've asked very politely, and you're sort of leaving them hanging. I keep wondering why these Greeks at the door are creating such a powerful distraction for me. I think it might be because I am afraid that I am sometimes them, left outside, politely asking about Jesus and looking at my watch, Yawning and wondering when something interesting is going to happen. When all the while Jesus is turning history on its head and God's voice is booming down from heaven just over there, just out of my reach. I am afraid that this is because I sometimes forget how much I want 
to be at the center of whatever God is up to. I forget that I actually don't want to miss a bit of it. As a teenager, I spent my summers as a counselor at church camp, and the counseling staff at that time was minimally supervised, which means that we didn't go to bed at bedtime. We worked very hard all day, and then we stayed up way too late socializing. A good friend of mine coined a phrase that I still use in reference to those late nights. She used to say that we couldn't go to bed during camp summers because we had the FOMS, F-O-M-S, which stands for the fear of missing something. (laughs) I had the FOMS pretty bad. So I neglected sleep and had many late-night conversations and times of deep laughter and fun. Now, one night after a lot of socializing, I was riding my bike through the woods at 2 a.m. on my way back to my cabin. It was a moonless, starless, very dark night, and I didn't have a bike light. But I knew the path pretty well, and I kept my eye on that slightly less dark spot in front of me, where I knew that the path through the woods gave way to an open field. Unfortunately, I veered a couple inches off track and hit a boulder, flipping over my handlebars and landing in a ditch alongside the path. I knew I was okay, but I also knew that my leg was bleeding. And all I could think was, "Uh uh-oh, raccoons. I was terrified of raccoons as I had been chased by one earlier in the summer around 2 a.m., and I didn't know if raccoons could smell blood. So I jumped back on my bike, and I raced back out of the woods to the safety of my cabin, and later on, remembering the fear and danger, the blood and the darkness, the being alone, I shook my head at the grip that the bombs had on me, Why else would I have engaged in such a risky stunt as riding my bike through the woods in the pitch dark middle of the night? And now, today, as Holy Week approaches, I wonder what I would be willing to risk, what dangers of the soul I would be willing to encounter so as not to miss out on a thing during Holy Week. Because really... Holy Week, when we engage it and surrender to it, is a very intense, scary, and very, very powerful thing to be a part of. And it will be here in seven days with Palm Sunday. Now, years ago, my understanding is that most Episcopalians went to the Palm Sunday service, and some people went to Tenebrae on Wednesday night if their church offered it, and many went to church on Monday, Thursday. Now, almost everyone went to church on Good Friday to hear the Passion narrative, and then, of course, the community was all together for Easter, even those who only showed up twice a year. Eventually, clergy noticed that not many people were coming to Good Friday service anymore, so the Passion narrative was moved to Palm Sunday, which is what we still do. It is a little odd to celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for the Passover and then listen to him being condemned to death and being crucified all in the same hour. But at least this way, people get to experience his death before Easter, 
even if they don't go to church on Good Friday, because honestly, Easter is a little anticlimactic if Jesus never dies. Before I was ordained, I often avoided Holy Week services. I figured I got to hear the Passion on Palm Sunday and had experienced enough sadness there to make the joy of Easter make sense. But the truth is, I was avoiding going too deeply into the real darkness of Holy Week because the pain and vulnerability of Jesus' sacrifice is difficult to sit with. It strikes a chord with our own suffering, which perhaps we'd rather not look at or don't know how to look at or don't know how to do anything about. And yet, it is in the darkness that the brightness of the resurrection truly shines in our lives. When we surrender to the Palm Sunday hope of the people who called out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and laid palms and cloaks in Jesus' path as he entered Jerusalem. When we listen to the pain and confusion in the voices of the women who bore witness to Jesus' crucifixion by coming on Tuesday night of Holy Week when women read the Stations of the Cross, When we sit in the dark and listen to chants of sadness and hope and lamentation during the service of Tenebrae on Wednesday night, and when we hear the loud crash in that service that echoes in the crashing of our hearts. When we come on Thursday and reenact the Last Supper as we wash one another's feet, just as Jesus tended to his own friends during their last Passover. When we sign up, to sit in the chapel for an hour that night, keeping watch with Jesus as the morning of Good Friday approaches. When we hear the Passion reading again at noon on Good Friday, sung during the hour that we remember Jesus' suffering and death. When we gather in darkness around the sacred fire out on the porch and listen to the stories of God and God's people throughout time on Saturday night. And we hold candles and offer our presence here as individual points of light in the darkness that precedes the resurrection. And when we baptize a child that night and then proclaim that Easter has arrived with joy and bells and music and light and song. And when we allow ourselves to take this journey to accompany Jesus and one another through the difficult and amazing journey of our faith, when we draw on our courage and dive into the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, then, then we are strengthened and filled. And we know ourselves to be a part of something that transcends all else. The story of a God who suffered deeply. And thus does not leave us to suffer alone. And also the story of a God who ultimately triumphed over death and brings us to a place of triumph over everything that hurts us. We cannot know the depth of love in Easter unless we understand the depth of God's love for us in our darkest darknesses. The journey through Holy Week as we experience Jesus' darkest darkness 
with him is something we only get to do once a year. And so I have come to a place where I actually do get the fums, the fear of missing something, if I think I will miss out on a minute of it. I do know that this year I will not be able to come to our inaugural service of Women's Voices of the Passion on Tuesday nights, and I feel I am going to miss something quite powerful. I will, however, be here Wednesday through Sunday, not just because it is my job, but because I don't want to be like those Greeks at the door, waiting on the sidelines to see if Jesus will come. I want to get into the center of the action and live into the risk of going all in. Maybe you want this too. Maybe you will join us when we as a community move step by step through the next two weeks. In the 1920s, theologian Evelyn Underhill wrote that as Jesus turned from a nomadic life, in Galilee, to the road leading to Jerusalem, where he would find condemnation and death. He warned his disciples that if they were to continue to follow him, they would be doing so at great personal risk. And he didn't mean that they might encounter bike crashes or rabid raccoons. He meant that they might encounter death or complete transformation. Or they might be required to look into the deepest, darkest parts of themselves. Loving them as he did, I think he invited them into the scary challenge of following him to the cross. And he did so by promising that there would also be glory and joy and resurrection. His was an invitation to irrational devotion. They could not do it unless they had a touch of the thumbs. The fear of missing something he said or did. Something that they knew would bring them more deeply into life and more deeply into the love of God. Each of us also is given an invitation. An invitation to Holy Week. To accompany Jesus through the last days of his life. To share our own darkest moments with him as he shares his with us. It is a journey, a trip, one I don't want to miss. In an email this week about the altar guild details of Holy Week, and there are many, the head of our altar guild said it well in the last line of her email. She wrote, hang on to your hats, here we go. Here we go indeed. And I pray that we are fortified by God's love and by this community as we step together into the darkness and move toward the everlasting light of God's glory revealed to us in the resurrection. Amen.